Rack your look for spring at Nordstrom Rack and save up to 60% on brands you love. Rag & Bone, Vince, Marc Jacobs, Adidas, Joes, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. Score new dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and sunglasses, plus updates for the family and home. Get your spring on for less, up to 60% less, today at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find? When it comes to buying your first home, everyone has questions. Can we even afford to buy a house right now? Well, I need to negotiate. How do I even negotiate? Luckily, a REMAX agent has answers. Hey, Brian, those are really good questions. They are? Thanks. It's my first time buying. I work with first-time buyers all the time. I got you. REMAX agents have more experience than other real estate agents. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Each office independently owned and operated. I'm Alan Alda, and this is Clear and Vivid, conversations about connecting and communicating. I love bringing those stories of the natural world to an audience. You know, when I'm out on location, there's no greater pleasure than sitting and watching an animal and trying to work out what it's going to do and how you're going to film it and how can you tell a nice and interesting and engaging story from it. That's the greatest pleasure. That's Johnny Keeling, veteran television producer of renowned BBC natural history series such as Planet Earth and Blue Planet. And now he's the executive producer of the most ambitious series about our natural world that's ever been made. It's called Seven Worlds, One Planet, and it will premiere on BBC America next month. Johnny joined me from the studio of the BBC Natural History Unit in Bristol, England, and here with me in our Manhattan studio is Courtney Tomasma, Executive Director of BBC America. This is an amazing project. Seven worlds, one planet. You really do cover seven worlds, don't you? Yes, we went everywhere to every continent on the Earth. You started with the title, right? With that concept of how different the seven continents are to the extent that they really each make up practically a different world. That's right, because there was one, originally 200 million years ago, there was one single continent, Pangaea, which was a supercontinent, and that ruptured and broke up, and all those fragments, those, that jigsaw puzzle, then scattered to the corners of the Earth, and the seven continents, according to where they are, then have a very different life. If you think of Antarctica on the bottom of the Earth, that's all covered in ice, and then you see Africa right in the centre of the Earth, and that's remained roughly where it originally was. And um, yeah, so they've all broken off into different parts and they've all then developed their own personality and their own characteristics, which has um, then led to the animals that live there. Because when, when it started to break up, animals were on those sort of rafts of land already. And over millions of years, they then evolved and changed into different species. So you get very different groups of animals in each of the continents. Wasn't India at one point its own continent that smashed into uh, Asia? That's exactly right. So... It smashed into Northern Asia and created the Himalayas, which uh, then created the incredible weather system, the monsoon, because as the as the moist air comes in off the Indian Ocean now, it hits the barrier of the of the Himalayas and then ah, backs up. I never knew. I always wondered yeah. where the monsoons came from. Yeah. It's so interesting that the geology, which is basically inert rocks, <laughs> except for how they're moving around and crashing into one another, have such an effect on life. A key element in the series seems to be 
how diversity, biodiversity, has developed partly as a result of the seven separated continents. I, I think it's interesting to explore why biodiversity is so important. Why, is it, why, did, why does it matter to us as humans? Well, there's a few reasons. Um, there's one very sort of soft reason or simple reason, which is actually it matters to us to see the natural world and to see that great variety because it, it makes us have a sense of well-being. It makes us, uh, it inspires us in terms of uh, literature and art and in- inspires us as a human uh, race. But that's one reason. I think if you were looking for hard reasons, you might say the ecosystem services that are provided by the natural world in terms of sequestering carbon, um, you know, I think the um, something like 5.6 gigatons of carbon are sucked up by the natural world every year. And if we didn't have that, climate change would be a lot uh, more abrupt and a lot more obvious. Another example is in, in Europe in the last, well, in my lifetime, in the last 50 years, or 40 years even, I think um, flying insects in Europe have declined by 75%. Now you think, well, flying insects, does that really matter? But if you imagine all the crops, all the food that we eat, um, all the uh, the nuts and the fruit and everything, that's pollinated by insects and often by flying insects. So that is something, again, which no one thinks about. I mean, it's the very simple way that I would boil it down to is every single mouthful of food that you take and every single breath of air that you breathe depends on a healthy natural world. And that is as simple as it gets. Good reason to watch the show and find out how (laughs) all that works, because I do want to keep breathing. (laughs) The task you had of going to all of these faraway places and showing us nature as it's happening, that's a a huge undertaking. How many people were involved in the making of this series? It was all me. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. You held the camera and swept up afterwards. It's great. I mean, I'd like to thank the team, but it was entirely me. No, I, um, yeah, joking aside, there was a team uh, in Bristol here in, in England of a core team of about 20 or 25 people. But around the world, we worked with uh, 1,500 people over four years in more than 40 countries, more than 90 expeditions. And we filmed 2,270-something hours of footage. So that's 300 of our hours for each hour that's on on television. So it is a massive undertaking. And yeah, it, it's... I, well, I, I love it. I mean, I love I love traveling and I love seeing wild animals and I like going to wild places and I really, really enjoy telling that story and bringing that back to, to as big an audience as possible and engaging and exciting them and getting them to love the natural world as well. Did you have to sleep in a tent in the top of a mountain often? Uh, I've definitely done that a few times, yeah. Uh, slept up trees, down caves, um, on boats. I think the worst one is uh, sailing down to Antarctica on a on a boat with eight to ten meter waves. That was pretty horrific. Eight there wasn't to much ten meter ten waves. Meters. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty unpleasant. That see, that's why when I go on vacation, <laughs> I like any place that has a lobby. <laughs> Johnny does too now. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Right. right. Yeah. Now, tell me about this study that makes it possible to get the benefit of nature without actually having to sleep in a tent on top of a mountain. Tell me about it's that. It's pretty incredible. 
we we at BBC America and working with BBC in the Natural History Unit have seen an incredible renaissance in viewership, interest, popularity of nature programming. So we spent this year working with a cultural anthropologist uh, named Susan Krejnica to dig into what benefits, what what were people getting out of this content? So what did they get out of it? We found, uh, we found the big, big learning is that Watching nature programming delivers many of the same benefits as direct experience with nature. There's a state that environmental psychologists have identified decades ago. It's called soft fascination. Um, and it's soft this, fascination. What is, that's a it, state of mind. It's a, yeah, a state of being. It's a state where you're simultaneously stimulated, but it's also undemanding. It doesn't require a lot of work or effort, but you get really rich, stimulating benefits from from that experience. When we studied people watching nature programming this year, that was the exact same state that they were describing experiencing. Can you can you track it with uh, an EEG machine? Can you see what, what if they're going through a phase, a brain a brain wave like uh, they would in meditation or something like I that? I think that's a I think that's something that we're exploring as a follow up to this. Oh, great. Uh, there's a professor at UC Berkeley who has been studying the same things. Um, of the fact that nature makes you happy, and um, in our <laughs> I own... love this because I can watch nature videos while I'm in the lobby of the hotel. There you go. Um, <laughs> but it's it's true. More people live in urban areas today than in any other point in history. We know that that nature has incredible benefits for your health and well being, and and our... we're really missing it. But the more we congregate in cities, the farther away we are from it. And people are hungry for it. Yeah. Um, there's no question about it. We are, we are, you know, we are creatures of nature as well, and we have innate needs um, and a desire to see the world, to see the stories of our planet, which I think Johnny and team do let me, better than anyone. Let me ask you anyone. about stories, John. Yeah, how do you involve storytelling in in the series? I think it's really, really important, um, and particularly in the last five or six years, I would say, we've really moved on. And so our stories are emotionally led. And that might seem very obvious, but actually I worked on the first Planet Earth series. And if you go back and watch that, it, it's a little bit more distant, you know, even from the camera work, you're you're sort of far away and you're observing something. And it's, but now we're trying to tell stories uh, from a character base sort of position. So, I mean, I have an example in Seven Worlds, we have a story about uh, wild hamsters living in Europe in the graveyards of Vienna. This is in the European episode. And they're robbing the graves of the, the flowers that people are putting on the graveyards and stealing those and eating them. And so we tell that from the, uh, the basis of a, an individual character. We try to do it as, a, as really, really embedded and emotionally led. And that's really, really important for us because I think it makes people connect with the natural world. So if you look at every single story in Seven Worlds, the first question I ask when the team say, we're thinking of filming this, is I say, what's the emotion? What, what's the audience going to feel? And then to make sure that there's an emotional range throughout each episode as well. So you're not just having, you know, animals killing each other in every single scene or mother and child in every scene. You, there's an emotional range of laughter and tears and 
awe and wonder and everything across a, a whole episode. So by the end of it, you feel emotionally very satisfied. So that storytelling is absolutely key. And I was interested to read um, that you're able to make use of drones now in a way that sort of makes any any part of nature that you want, like the Galapagos, where it, it's a wonderful experience to be in the Galapagos where the animals have grown up without fear of humans and, and they just carry on their lives right in front of you. And you can do that with a drone with the scariest animals. And they, <laughs> they don't attack you and you don't have to worry about them. Yes. It, what's brilliant is in the in the course during the course of the series, drones really progressed dramatically. So about two or three years ago, uh, some new drones were brought out that flew for longer, that further, they were quieter, the cameras were more stable and better quality. I mean, some of them now are, are the size of your hand and wow. film, you know, HD quality images. We were filming 4K, so sort of twice that quality. How but close even, can you get to them with the drone? It depends on the animal. So uh, we would always start quite high, flying quite high, and then you bring it down lower and lower and lower. And some animals are incredibly tolerant and you could get within, uh, I don't know, let's say, uh, might be like 10, 15 meters up. But then if you've got a zoom lens on it, you're getting nice details. And we were able to film sequences. We've got a sequence of polar bears hunting beluga whales in, uh, in the Arctic. And we were able to film that with drones. If we didn't have the drones, we wouldn't be able to film it. And it was the drones were were far enough away, maybe a mile away, so we're able to film, but we couldn't see it with our naked eye. You can just see through the drone and film things happening that we weren't able to get to quick enough to capture. So, so from a filmed, mile away, you were controlling the drone, yeah. and you were also seeing what what was what the action was at the same yeah. time. Yeah, it, that's that's ex exciting. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so it, it, it's a different perspective. You get a different view, uh, the plan view, looking down. It, it shows you the world in a, in a different way, but also it allows you to capture behavior which you, you wouldn't normally be able to film. So, so I think it, drones have been brilliant. It sounds like you can actually follow a story as it develops among a couple of actual animals, and you don't have to insert shots of other animals playing That's true. their part. Yeah, we have a scene in uh, in the Antarctic episode, and I was there when we had a so we had a, an underwater camera operator. We had a, a cameraman sitting on a rock filming. It was a penguin being chased by a a leopard seal, and then we had a drone filming it. So we filmed it from three different angles. So it means that when you tell that story again, you're fully immersed in it, and you feel the emotions, and you you don't get at all distracted by the fact that you're sort of um, having to kind of cut from one shot to another. You're it's so smooth and integrated, and that's drones allowing us to do that. We wouldn't be yeah. able to get a helicopter there. Was there something that really surprised you in the four years you were making this that surprised you about nature? Oh, such a good question. <laughs> um, I, I, did you see animals you'd never seen before? Oh, yes. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's new species in the series that have just been discovered. There's a there's a spider in Australia, and the male has little paddles on his hands. They look like little shovels. And he uses those to wave from behind a leaf, and he waves at the female. And to stop the female... <laughs> he waves at the female with his paddles? With his paddles, this, with his paddles is, yeah. This is like being at an auction. <laughs> yeah, it's like that. And the female's out hunting, but then he has to turn her mood from, from being in one of being predatory 
you know, in terms of hunting animals to, to actually one of love. And he needs her to get into a, a mood where they can mate. So he weighs his little paddles and that's a brand new species of jumping spider in Australia. So we definitely saw animals we'd never seen before. How, how big are these spiders? Oh, uh, it's sort of five millimeters. You know, they're tiny little things. Uh, and does he use the paddles for anything else? No. For, but being sexy? <laughs> just just his sexy paddles. That's all he has, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have to get me a pair of those paddles. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they work. I'm spoiling, spoiling the film, but they, they definitely work. <laughs> what was it like filming the polar bears? Was that? It sounds like you'd you'd come across a lot of very sad sights. Yeah, I mean, it, I think it's always sad. On I worked on Planet Earth One on the first series and Planet Earth Two, but on the first one I filmed lions hunting elephants and um, at night. So you've got thirty lions jumping on the back of an elephant, and it's something you want to film because you want to document it. Um, but then when it happens, it is really sad. So I think the team when they were filming polar bears. You know, when they see a polar bear jump on the back of a beluga whale that's three times the size of it and, and pull it under and, and capture it, it, it's they are amazed to see that. And But it's a mixed emotion. You feel really sad because this is an animal, uh, a sentient being that's losing its life right in front of you, and that's heartbreaking. That's something that's always affected me watching nature shows. But I think one of the things that... A, a program like this does is introduce you not only to the awe that you might feel experiencing nature even on video, but to the realities of life. I, I think I'll be watching the series with even a, a, an extra an extra dimension that you put into it for me. And it really sounds fascinating. And I, I thank you for all the trouble you went through to make this series. It's a pleasure. It's, I mean, it's genuinely no trouble. I, I really enjoy it. I love it. Um, I love bringing those stories of the natural world to, to an audience. And I personally, you know, when I'm out on location, there's no greater pleasure than sitting and watching an animal and trying to work out what it's going to do and how you're going to film it and how can you tell a nice and interesting and engaging story from it. That's the greatest pleasure. There's nothing more sort of um, satisfying or mindful than, than sitting and watching animals do their thing and being able to, to film that. Well, it's nice that you've made it possible for us human animals to look at the other <laughs> animals. Thank you so much. Thank you. Clear and Vivid is going on a short holiday break. We'll be back on Tuesday, January 7th, with what can only be called an earth-moving interview with Dr. Lucy Jones, who's one of the world's leading earthquake experts. From the Clear and Vivid team and the Alda family, have a wonderful holiday. And we're wishing you all the very best for the year ahead. Bye-bye. Seven Worlds, One Planet airs on BBC America, AMC, IFC, and Sundance TV on Saturdays at 9pm, beginning January the 18th.